We don't have to fight We don't have to kill Everybody in the wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode number 94. And my guest this time around is a skilled actor, comedian, and musician who is here in town for the Crack Up Comedy Festival. But before we get into that, I want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you would prefer audio only, you can get that at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're hearing my voice on one of those platforms, though, and you did not realize that there was a visual side to this thing, I encourage you to please come check it out here on YouTube. If you do come over to the YouTube side, I would really appreciate it if you would consider hitting the subscribe button. Obviously, you don't have to, but it does help me to keep growing this channel, and I love connecting with new people. So if you're just stopping in for the first time or you've been a supporter since day one, thank you very much. It does really mean the world to me. If you'd like to reach out to me, maybe with a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the podcast, you can hit me up on social media or send me an email at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. While you're doing that, let me know if you have interest in one of these holofoil stickers with the show's logo, and I will send you one free of charge. Whoa. Now, as I mentioned off the top, my guest is a very talented individual who is here in Ottawa for the Crack Up Comedy Festival, which is happening tonight. And he is an honorary guest and presenter at that event where he will be handing out the coveted Candy Awards, which is given to deserving Canadian comedic talent and is, of course, named after his legendary father, the universally beloved actor John Candy. I'm so happy to welcome to the studio, Mr. Chris Candy. Hey, thank you going? so much for coming, man. It's <laughs> yeah. truly a treat. That's I, so you memorized all of that at the top. That on the way so to pick impressed. you up, I was just going. <laughs> oh man! Every time someone says, "Oh, good intro," all I can hear is my little like tense gasps for air. I'm always a little <laughs> no, worked good. up at the beginning. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so that was much. great. <laughs> um, thanks for having me. It's it's uh, it's lovely to be down here, uh, hanging out with your dad and. Uh, Drinking a uh, lovely Aha sparkling water beverage. They're pretty good, right? They're deli- they're Aha. I honestly <laughs> think they uh, they edge out bubblies in my opinion because they're dual flavor. Yeah, it's got two complex flavors going on: pineapple and, and amalgamation. Fruit. Yeah, it's very good. I uh, know. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's nice to be back. Kind of briefly mentioned it on our car ride over, but I haven't been back to Canada for like three years since before the pandemic. Yep. So it's really good to be back and. Um, it's it, yeah i'm just loving my time here so no it's we always uh, want to have one of our sons back to the great white north right <laughs> like you got to make the trip once in a while it's the most noticeable change of tone once you go from the states back to canada and um i always like welcome it it's so lovely and there's just so many differences uh, that happen when you cross over and so uh, it felt good and, and that was also the thing too i think i didn't really realize how much you know that was such a um, heavy time for everybody, uh, no matter what. And I think it's just like starting to travel again and all of that. I mean, I've been traveling, but it's, um, to come back here really is nice. Cause one thing I noticed is like, if you did travel during the pandemic, um, and you would go back to a place that you remembered pretty well, it, it's still, you know, that, that place was trying to get through the pandemic too. Yeah. No place was uh, free of it. Yeah, like yeah. if you wanted to go to Italy, they were trying to get through it too. You know, and you wouldn't escape that ever. Yeah. 
And so it didn't really feel like you were returning to that place in its true form. You yeah. Know? And so this feels like it's true form. Ottawa feels really great. And so it was nice to get up and walk around and chill. Yeah. We're always <laughs> happy to have you here. And uh, I know the Crack Up Comedy Festival is something you've been a part of for several years, but I did want to ask, when was the first time that they implemented the Candy Awards? So I don't exactly know the correct number, but I think uh, the creator, John Helmke, he put it together years prior to him reaching out to my family. And then he hit us up maybe six, seven years ago. Okay. And um, he said he wanted to do a um, honorary inductee for my father. Like he wanted to kind of award my father. And it was a really nice event that they did downtown. And um, Margaret Trudeau was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was a, they were giving her an award too. Um, and then the year after that, I think based off of Norm MacDonald's uh, you know, he wanted to call, I think it was... Uh, Canadian Screen Awards. The Canadian yeah, Screen yeah. Awards. He wanted to call it the Candy Award. And he was kind of joking about the idea throughout the whole... The candies. The candies. Yeah. And I think John just heard that. He's like, well, I'll do it for my comedy festival. And so uh, John then took the um, name and added it towards Crack Up. And so then more or less the last... Uh, well, since then, the festival's been going on and we've been giving two uh, candy awards to... Oh, it's uh, two every year. Okay, yeah, I wasn't two sure male, if that was just female this year. comedian. Okay. Um, and, and it's more or less to highlight... Um, initially, it was comedians from kind of the past. And so we did um, Colin Mockery and we did... Um, Amazing. Um, Andrea Martin. Um, okay. And then... From there, um, he had a really great idea about presenting it to uh, current comedians who are going on. So like this year, we have like Big This Daddy. year's a mix though, right? It is. You've got Robin Duke, who's Well, SCTV Robin Duke is, yeah, is a senior. And SNL. then you've got, and, but then, um, exactly. And then you have Big Daddy Taz, who's more of a current comedian. And um, that's, I kind of think the progress that's going to be moving in forward, who kind of embody uh, generosity and uh, the Canadian spirit within comedy. And I think um, that's really where the award's going to nowadays. And so John usually sends us a couple of people he thinks are really great. He's got his kind of finger on the pulse of comedy in Ottawa. And then we chime in who we might think would be great, or if we can help him get in touch with somebody, then that's usually how it works. Um, and oh, so just, you guys get to weigh in. That's cool. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, and so that's really how it works. And then he picks um, a charity to donate to, and, and it's always kind of changing, but it's focus has always been on mental health, um, you know, mental health support. Um, and he's really been focused on that for years. Now he works within, John works, I don't know exactly where, but it's somewhere within um, the, uh, that avenue. And I think it's within, God, I would, is it, I guess it would be politics, but I think, yeah, anyways, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where it is. Cool. And normally your sister comes with you. Yeah. This year she's appearing virtually, I believe. Um, Jen, no, it's just me. Uh, oh, I'm okay. going to be, uh, Jen will be, um, she's back in Los Angeles and uh, she's just got too much work going on down there. Oh, I so. thought she told me she was doing it via satellite or that kind of thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're piping her in and I have no idea. Yeah, I haven't told you yet. <laughs> I wanted to give a shout out to your sister though for helping oh, me yeah. get in touch with you because I had a great chat with her last May and... Uh, I'm really happy to be able to do this. So thank you, Jen. Yeah. Hey, Jen. What's and up? also <laughs> shout out to comedians that are going to be featured or have been featured during the festival, but uh, they will be there tonight as well, who have been on this show. So Kyle Brownrigg, David Brennan, and Fiona O'Brien, uh, you know, good job on all of you guys for making it there. And uh, I can't wait to see you. It's great. Yeah. It's um, and, and the festival itself has gotten me to get up to Ottawa and see Ottawa um, in ways that uh, I haven't, you know, it's like my experience with Canada um, is pretty Toronto centric. Mm. Um, New market, right? Yeah, yeah. The town where we had property was up in um, uh, 
Queensville, which is like kind of part of East Gwillimbury above Newmarket. For those who don't know where that is. Um, is that the farm I've seen? Sort of the open land that you see in that interview with your father? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Okay. So my mom and dad bought a, a farmhouse uh, back in, I guess that would be the 70s. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, late 70s, early 80s. And um, then my father kind of kept expanding it and, you know, buying plots of land around it. And so... Um, that was the farm and we still have a little bit of land left up there. Um, not too much, but that's all getting developed. It's unfortunate that oh. whole kind of land is, is getting developed, but Canada's just got such a boom for development going yeah. on. So we've got a lot of land. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of land to develop, but I have spent a lot of time up, uh, this way and, and yeah, in that part of the world. So going to Ottawa, I've done stuff in, um, Montreal, but then I, to be honest with you, I live on the West coast, but I've spent the least amount of time on like West coast, Canada. Oh, Vancouver, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't like really explored it too much. Yeah, I have not either. I'd love to, but love to get to the East Coast more. And um, this festival even does uh, stuff up in Iqaluit. Yeah, and, the Arctic Comedy Festival, I believe. And I'm trying to do that uh, this fall. He was talking about uh, me going up there and doing some improv classes up there. And, oh, cool. and I was like, oh, fuck yes. I'm sure. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to do that. I know if it's the same festival, I know a couple of comedians that have done yes. that as well. Yeah, exactly. Simone, I believe Simone Holder was there last year and uh, Janelle Niles, a couple other people that we've had on the show. So yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, they'd be lucky to have you. Well, it'd be, it's, you know, for me, it's just like getting to, to see parts of the world that you wouldn't normally get a chance to go to. So I would be very lucky to go up there. What an experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We had a singer on this show who spent a lot of time in the Arctic and she was talking about how, you know, it would be dark for two weeks and then it would be bright for two weeks and that kind of stuff. I'm not, I think that's cause she was even further North. She was all the way up at like alert in like a military base, the northernmost right. sort of area. But I, I don't think it was just two weeks. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it goes months. Right? Oh, does it really? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Sworn she said it was a couple of weeks. No, when you get to the high latitudes, it's uh, like summer for a long time, then it's dark for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, she was talking about how it would be hard to sleep because you'd wake up at three in the morning and it'd be bright outside like it was the afternoon. There was a, a stand-up who did uh, a sh the crack-up um three or four years ago, maybe it was three years, right before the pandemic. And he was talking about how there are areas where you get off the train, but you have to give the conductor the coordinates, like the longitude and the latitude. Oh, wow. That's where, that's where it stops. <laughs> that's where the train stops. And I'm going, that's pretty rural, man. Yeah, that's a whole different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So uh, coming back to Canada, I heard you touch on another podcast about this, your accent coming back. And you, oh. you brought up something that is actually very true to me as well, which is that uh, I would find myself adapting to sort of the people that I'm around and my sure. linguistic <laughs> sensibilities will kind of just shift. And and I, I was talking to you about uh, Vic Ruggiero coming on the show. Right, right. And for like a week after that, I was speaking like I was from New York. <laughs> She's got a real thick one on him. Yeah. That sounded suggestive. <laughs> Thick accent. <laughs> it, no, it, it, it does happen. Even as I'm here listening to my voice, I'm going like, who is that? <laughs> but um, I get comfortable within the um, the kind of dialect around. I remember even I was in Hawaii with uh, Mike Park a couple of weeks ago. And uh, next thing I know, I'm just saying like, cuz and bretta, like oh, all yeah. this stuff. But um, it, I, I think it's because I'm relaxed. Probably that's normally what it means. And um, kind of putting my guard down a little bit. But with, with Canada specifically, I think it's also just like a familiarity. And I think your accent is a part of who you are. And, um, mm. you know, it, it's just easier to, for me, it's just a comforting feeling. Um, 
Um, and it's not forced too. My Canadian accent is very organic. Yeah, it's very organic. And, um, but I do know what you're talking about with like, uh, New York accents or Or any uh, any accent in general. Yeah, exactly. You kind of start posturing or, or delivering things in that manner, you know? Well, I spoke to Vic about how we thought that's just a survival thing. It's probably instinctual evolutionary thing. You know, you want to fit in with the tribe that you're currently associating with you know exactly yeah uh my friends uh jokingly call me maui jim whenever i come back from hawaii <laughs> because i'm like i'm like it's all good cuz don't worry bro who say cousin yeah blood. I said, well they, i've never in, been there and in, in, in hawaii yeah it's a lot of like cuz like cousin and bretta and bra and all that and i'm not hawaiian you know and that's a very specific to the people who live over that way but, um, but you've been there many times i i'd seen on your instagram it looked like more than one occasion yeah i i i went when i was younger but for for cal Californians, it's not that far. You know, it's like oh a, yeah, it's I like suppose a, that's true. It's only like a six-hour flight to get there, and then it's about four hours, forty minutes to get back. And I have a good friend. Um, you know, well, it initially started with uh, we were talking earlier about Mike Park. My friend Mike had, and to those who don't know, Mike's this really famous. Um, uh, Scott punk uh, musician. He owns a record label called Asian man records just, and, and he's an old, old friend of mine and uh, I can go into all that, but uh, he invited me to play in his band, the Bruce Lee band. And he lets me play trumpet every once in a while with them. And so um, cool. for his 50th birthday, I played with the Bruce Lee band and uh, we did two shows in Hawaii and um, that kind of started it. Um, Cause I was over in this town called Kailua, which is, on the, uh, I don't think it's, it's on the east side of the island. That's what it is. Yeah. And um, anyways, beautiful, cute little town. And I love to run. I'm a runner. And so I was just having these like epic runs over in Kailua. And I just was like, I have got to figure out a way to get back here. Like at <laughs> Retirement least plan, maybe? Well, I would <laughs> at least visit. I, I think at least once a year, get back there for like a weekend or something. Cause it, I, I, I got a lot of Hawaiian credit card miles. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so the trips are free and I can get back over there and, and go on some beautiful runs and hang out with some friends. And he has a friend there, this guy named John Shoish. And John used to play drums in this ska band from Hawaii called the Tantra Monsters. Okay. So the Tantra Monsters and Mike's old band Skanga Pickle played together a bunch. And so um, there's like two types of trips I can do when I go out that way. I can go back with my family or my girlfriend and and, and stay at like a hotel or I can do like the weird Mike Park, John Schweish trip where I'm just kind of like <laughs> hanging out, like going on runs and like walking around in Kailua. Anyways, um, I picked up the accent there. That's where we bring it back to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it happens to a lot of people, though. It's Maui Jim, just like I don't think it makes you a poser or something. <laughs> I feel like a poser. Um, <laughs> well, when someone calls you on it, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Well, my <laughs> Mike called me on it. I think I was talking to like a Lyft driver, and he was like, he was like, "Oh man, like I, I've been in in uh, crazy traffic to pick you guys up." And I was like, oh, don't worry about it, cuz. <laughs> and then Mike goes, why are you talking like you're Hawaiian? I was like, I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> oh, that's funny. When you kept saying bruh, I can't help but think of my daughter's 12 and her and all her friends say bro. Oh, dude. Constantly. She, she calls me bro. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. But I'm is it bro father. or is it bruh? It, uh, no, it's bro, actually. Really? Surprisingly, she'll go bro, bro. So in, in California right now, it's bruh. 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 Like they're saying bra. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I've experienced that through Mike Park's daughter, Maggie. And uh, she's in like her teenage years now. And she's just like, bruh. We went camping. <laughs> and and we went camping, the, the four of us. like, And uh, she was just like, 
not down with camping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like wanted to go into town and get that like, was me as a kid, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like she wanted to do what any 14 year old wanted to do, like go and like find like the coffee bar, you know? Yeah. And so when we were trying to like go camping and do camping stuff, she's like, bruh. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I've only recently started to enjoy camping, and that's because we're I guess glamping. We rent a cottage somewhere. Right. I can't do the tent thing. I'd wake up with a sore back every day and yeah. there's always that one mosquito in the tent driving me insane. <laughs> I don't know, call me a prima donna, but well, that's the, that was actually my, um, my like entryway into like, uh, um, like camping in Canada is that my cousins in Toronto, um, they invited me for, I think we did it two or three years in a row to go on a canoe trip, um, in the, along the French river oh, cool. above, um, well, that's, I guess more in the Toronto area. Um, and it's kind of below Thunder Bay, I think, isn't it? Or maybe it's, I've, you know. I'm looking at your dad. <laughs> I, I look to my dad constantly for factoids. So you're not it's out in of Canada, place. right? So I've heard of the, <laughs> yeah, I've heard of the French River, but I couldn't place it. Okay. Nope. You don't win that trivial pursuit nope, round. Don't win that one. Nope. Well, but that's pretty good for knowing a little bit about everything. That's so good. That wasn't uh, off, but, off key at all. It's a consequence of age. Yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> but I did a great uh, canoe trip with them. Um, and yeah, I had to do like the whole portage, like overnight camping and everything. And I just came back on like yeah you're fucking canadian <laughs> yeah you, did you feel like i get it now kind of i enjoy this or more just a badge of honor no i loved it i, I think i always love challenges and stuff and you know all the, there was a lot of like rowing going on on that trip and uh um, well and you mentioned running was something i had written down here because you do seem like a big runner yeah 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 i just did the la marathon a few days ago right I, yeah last weekend i did la marathon that was my fifth la marathon wow yeah well I, on that note i did want to ask you how many marathons you've run to date and and Maybe not a marathon, but in general, which run have you done that was the most grueling or arduous? Oh, cool. Um, sure. Um, For the people who really want a challenge, <laughs> right? They can. Yeah, I guess I've always loved like a challenge. And um, I, I think that um, running has been like a really cool teacher for me and it um has really like i learned you get something out of all the runs you go on and and i always feel like if you're in like a bad mood or or if you're trying to work through something if you go on like a 30 minute run your perspective will change and you'll have kind of this new uh view on things and so with marathons i've run i think technically i've run um five LA marathons. And then I did uh, a, a piecemeal marathon during the pandemic. So six altogether okay. by piecemeal. I mean, I have like a running crew out of, um, in the States it's worldwide. We're called the, it's never not run NNR and never not run was this like slogan. I said when I was in uh, high school, NNR never not run. And it, it would find the phrase would find itself, uh, into songs that I would write or, it was my original Instagram handle. My very first Instagram handle was NNR. People thought I was probably like some kind of weird guns right yeah. or something. <laughs> but um, when I changed it for professional reasons to my name, like I should have a long time ago, I was like, what am I going to do with this handle? And then I was like, oh, I'm going to start a, a, a running group basically. And through that, we hold all these digital races throughout the year. And by that, I mean, like if you want to be in the race, like, you know, you just let me know and we start a group chat and there's all kinds of people from all over the world who are running the race that same day, basically. Cool. And one of the ones we did during the pandemic was a marathon where I basically said, you know, I'm going to get all the elements together of a race, race day photos, a race t-shirt, times and all of this stuff. And I'll, I'll manage all that. We'll get a group chat together through Instagram. Um, and then we, you run a marathon in one day. 
and you have 24 hours to complete it. And so, you know, if you want to do, um, you know, 10 miles and then take a five hour break and do another 10 and then, you know, you could break it up however you want. And so that was, that was my other marathon I had done. So I have never run a marathon. So it is 20 miles. Then? It's 26.2 miles. I don't know. How much is that kilometers? Kilometers <laughs> is like 50, Canadian 62 K maybe I think, or wow. it's, it's, it's up there. Yeah. Holy shit. And, um, I, the, but through never not run, then I, I started just like, I got kind of, you running's addictive a little bit. Like I've heard this. Uh, yeah. It, 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 it you, the, the endorphin high and the feeling of completion is very intoxicating. And I guess it's a good thing, but what's well, a testament of your willpower to not give up on such a yeah, journey. And they're fun. You know, they're just really fun at the end of the day. And, um, I, um, I did the hardest one I ever did was this thing called the four by four by 48. And it was, um, four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And I did Whoa. that three years ago or two years ago. And that one, um, was created by this like motivational, um, well, he's not a motivational speaker, but he's this like book author, Navy seal guy named David Goggins. Oh, I know that. Well, I don't know him, but yeah. I've seen him online. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, his book was just really neat and I, I got a lot out of it. And, um, he's the guy who kind of yells at you. A bit, like, <laughs> it's 5am. Get up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen his videos. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, um, he is intense for sure. Uh, I've definitely like played him for friends on like, uh, you know, on podcasts and they've had like panic attacks <laughs> listening to him. Well, he's like a no excuses guy. You are your biggest hurdle. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, 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 he's the most um, no self-help book, uh, self-help guy you can find. Yeah. Like, and really all he's saying is anything you want to do in life is hard. At the end of the day, that's the biggest takeaway I, I have from it. Like anything you want to do, be it physical or life or goal oriented, it's not. Well, and he lost tons of weight, as I know it yep. used to be a lot larger and he was in the military or something. He's just this, this person who came from so much, um, oppression. And, and he grew up, I think in a town where the KKK was created. Um, Jesus. he was just, you know, he's, uh, you know, a black man, he was getting all kinds of, um, hate, you know, he was overweight. I think he ended up losing yeah, over a hundred plus pounds. Oh, he's and, shredded now. Yeah. He's, and then he also was, um, uh, he couldn't read. He didn't know how to read. And so oh. he taught himself, like he taught himself how to do all of this stuff. And, and so his whole takeaway for people is like, you have the tools to get through whatever it is you need to get through. And a lot of people get confused by him because they think they actually need to go out and do the crazy thing he does. And, uh, you don't have to, it's, 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 it's all relative really. It, and the so mindset. it's all the mindset. Yeah. And so, um, it, so it's also not about pushing other people. It's really just for whatever you're looking to get out of the thing. Mm. And that could be in work. That could be in relationship. That could be whatever. So anyways, I, I got a lot out of him, but he created this really stupid race <laughs> called the four by four by 48. And the, um, the rubber legs race. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's created by a man who has no knees. And <laughs> and I did that. And that, that was insane. That was stupid. Um, that sounds intense. But <laughs> that's the thing with running. There's, it's like, there's always a challenge that is just crazy enough for you to be like, I could do that too. And then you're just down the rabbit hole, like so far gone. Yeah. And the people in your life are like, what is he doing? <laughs> there's one happening right now that I crewed on uh, and I didn't race in it. Um, I did a little bit of running, but not much. Um, and it's called the Speed Project. And the Speed Project is this race that goes, it's a, it's a relay race. It starts at the Santa Monica Pier and it ends in Las Vegas. 
Oh. And so that is like a 350 mile race and you can go however you want to to get to this endpoint. There's no route. You can create your own route. Weird. And you I, I drove an RV for this team um, to do that. And and that was seeing true athletes like perform at a high level and I was like blown away by that. I was like, oh my God, these guys are monsters just so so cool. cool that you kind of just got to figure it out on your own too yeah like you're in the middle of like the mojave desert and um you know in the middle of nowhere and you're kind of like making sure your runners don't get hit, like attacked by rabid dogs yeah it's, it was the most brutal thing i had participated in but i didn't run that so what would be like the average completion time on something like that well i think people normally i think the fastest team to do it did it in like 39 hours and i think people, okay i was gonna say it must be more than a day yeah you our team did it i remember you started at like 4 a.m on saturday morning and then we finished on sunday morning at like 1 a.m mm. so it was like yeah it, but it, it was pretty that one was visually beautiful but very brutal in the sense of um the, the commitment for it. But yeah, so I've, I've with, with all of that stuff with, with running and, and, and all of that stuff, I just like it. I, I, I enjoy the world. It's like a fun thing that I can kind of busy my mind with and, um, I get a lot out of it, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's, I'm only now starting to open up my mind to running, uh, <laughs> because that crazy dog you saw in the backyard, she's very, very high energy. And a lot of the time it's just makes more sense to just run with her and tire her out. And I'm starting to see why people like it because as a kid, I mean, or a teenager, I should say I was a smoker or pot smoker. My sure. lungs were probably not in great shape. Yeah. And in gym class, I just remember running the beep test. I don't know if, did you ever have the beep test where you have to run back and forth and the oh, beeps yeah, getting of closer together. Yes. Yes. Just, I just remember my lungs being on fire and I, I never really wanted to do that for fun but i'm i'm finally coming around I, I i think i always ask people like you know if you like running then you'll get a lot out of it if you hate running then do something else yeah fair <laughs> um but people can change over time that's you know true I mean? that's very true i've got better lungs now than i did back then i'm sure uh, then you you'll you'll love it <laughs> yeah well it sounds like there's a big community of people that are into it so it's never been i feel like more popular than it is right now there's a lot of people who are getting into it and i think the pandemic kind of pandemic did that for a lot of people actually like people were skateboarding more surfing more yeah. running just getting out more and doing these things i wanted to ask you about skateboarding actually i didn't even write in my notes but i noticed a lot of photos on your instagram of you at a place called rip city i think it was yeah and you you dubbed it as like family sure and i saw you with a longboard too so i wanted to know do you skate and sort of just what the significance of that place was to you um or is well rip city is this uh it's the oldest continuously running skate shop in America. Wow. It started in 1978 by these two cousins, Jim McDowell and Bill Poncher. Jim is now retired. He lives in Colorado and Bill still lives there. And uh, it was my first job. I worked there when I was in the eighth grade. And it's um, a cool job to have in the eighth grade. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, it was sick. the coolest job to get in town. I remember them just kind of going to me. Isn't eighth grade kind of young to be working too? It's like yeah, well, you know, it's a little under the. You know. Oh, okay. it's one of those. <laughs> um, but here's uh, some new trucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take a T-shirt home. Yeah. Um, and I was never a great skater, but I loved the culture, and I I, I That's did like it. Me. Yeah, and and I still roll around to this day. I like to go surfing every once in a while, um, but now I help out there a little bit more in my free time. Um, since the. Um, cousin retired, you know, and just kind of help piecemeal a, a crew together to work over there. Cause the other man is older. He's in his later seventies and it's, it's, um, 
it is family because, you know, I think for me, um, when I was a kid, you know, it was like, you know, my father passed away when I was in the, uh, third grade. And so this was then this place where I could go hang out with these cool dudes, yeah. you know, and, and, and kind of like, you know, the place is jokingly called a bar without alcohol because people just go into this place and just, you know, talk like the way we're talking. Just hang, yeah. Exactly. And cool. so um, I got a lot of experience of the like LA, SoCal, Venice beach culture and skateboarding also started in this area. Santa Monica is called Dogtown. Then yeah. you have Venice. Um, and skateboarding is, is born out of this zone. And so I was privy to all the famous skaters from like Tony Alva, um, Jay Adams came in a few times. Um, the whole Dogtown crew was kind of around like in and out. Stacy Peralta is he another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched it, that movie with Heath Ledger back in the day. Yeah, yes, and and well, Skip Engblom, who uh, Heath uh, portrayed as a as a uh, friend of mine. Oh yeah, yeah, and, wow. and 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 I just had access to all of these like really important people in that that world, and so skateboarding is just um, is that for me. So nowadays, I still help out with Rip Cities t-shirts and their social media. And, and, um, I, you know, help out a little more cause I, I, as I've been an actor and, and all of these other things too, I've always had a job in retail and I worked for Stussy and I worked for clothing brands and, and I always uh, thought it was Stussy. <laughs> yeah. Stussy. Okay. Everyone thinks that though. It, oh, it, it's not it, just it, me. Okay. No, 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 no. It's all everyone does. And then it's, I always just say, well, it's a guy's last name and the guy who created his name was Sean Stussy. Oh, well that makes uh, perfect sense then. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I, uh, I worked there and then I, and so I took all the knowledge from there and, and applied to drip city, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad I asked about that. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for asking. Um, well, I have a lot of things I still want to go over with sure. you. Um, I guess we could get into Mike Park and that connection because sure. I didn't know until I started researching you that you were a musician. So there's a lot to talk about there. But as you mentioned, Mike Park is probably one of your best friends. I've seen you, right? Yeah. A of posts. Yeah. I met Mike when, um, and I think it's the same thing with the Rip City guys. I met him around the eighth grade and, you know. Oh, that, you guys go that far back. Wow. So yeah, Mike had Asian Man Records and um, I was really into ska and punk rock music at that time. I still am. And um, Mike owned the label and, and I would buy CDs and to find out about other bands, I'd read the thank you sections of um, those uh, CDs. And then I'd say, oh, okay, well, like if, um, you know, uh, so what real big fish is saying, thank you to, you know, Skanka Pickle. I got to find out who Skanka Pickle yeah. is. And then they're the saying, network. thank you to suicide machines. I got to see who suicide machines are. And who are these slackers? You know, it's like, who, yeah. how's this all work? And so I, um, hold on, I got to sneeze. Do I? No, I don't. <laughs> um, I know that feeling, the almost sneeze. Oh God, it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, Mike was, um, he had the phone number for Asian Man Records in the back of one of the CDs. And so I called it and I thought that I was going to get a front desk or like, you know, someone who was taking the calls. I thought this or something. Asian Man Records, yeah, it was going to be this huge record company. And the guy picked up the phone. Well, hey, what's going on? And I was in a ska band in the eighth grade and we were playing a talent show and they had this song called fake in Jamaican. <laughs> and I, I couldn't figure out the one, this one lyric and I wanted to figure out if someone at Asian man records knew it. And so I was talking to this person and then I started talking about all the bands. Hey, what's up with the Bruce Lee band? What's up with alkaline trio? What's up with, you know, and then I go, well, what's up with Mike Park? And he was going, oh, I'm, do I'm doing pretty good. And I like lost my mind. I was like, what you know 
And I was so overwhelmed because this is like my hero. And oh, yeah, he's, you know, older significantly older. Yeah, That's what he's I was, 51. I was thinking this guy can't have a record company in the eighth grade. No. no. Yeah. And so Mike then, um, and I just kind of became buddies through AOL, you know, email back and forth. And um, he was really into like Star Wars toy collection. And I traded him a bunch of Star Wars toys for like Asian Man Records posters, you know, and he got the better end of the deal. Does he still have them, I'm guessing? He sold, he got rid of all of them. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He sold them to somebody who was really, you know. It's that hurts the nerd in me, but I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This stuff is hard times. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so then, Mike, over the years, I got to graduate high school and he invited me to go work for his nonprofit, the Plea for Peace Foundation, on the Vans Warp Tour. And so that was my second job, more or less, where I was on the Vans Warp Tour for a whole summer. And there is kind of like a big pot for me because I meet a lot of people there. Um, Jeff Rosenstock is one of them who's like a very, pretty a successful musician now. And Mike Park put out his records. But I, I go to meet a lot of people on this tour. And through Mike, um, I... Yeah, he, he continued to be a good friend after that. And then I worked with him on other tours where I'd be his guitar tech or uh, roadie or whatever. And there was like a crew, it was like his now wife and our friend Hiro Tanaka and, and Mike. And now we, we we hang out whenever we can or, you know, like the Hawaii thing's kind of a thing at the moment. Uh, we do a thing called punk rock weddings where he officiates the wedding and I DJ the wedding and our friend Hiro takes all the photos. And so... It's like a cool little like. That's awesome. Yeah, it's again. These are all like things I that are for fun. But you know, um, I, I I I'm fortunate, man. I I know a lot of really nice people, and I'm I'm like always kind of uh, amazed at how cool some of these people are. And Mike's one of them. I just think he's got like one of the biggest hearts, and he's um, very important to the DIY music scene. Oh yeah, he's a mastermind. Yeah, I mean, I I told you in the car that I have a bit of a connection to him. Uh, I think the first time I heard Skank and Pickle was uh, when I met my ex-wife. She loaded a bunch up on my old iPod, which I probably still have somewhere. Oh, cool! A bunch of their albums. So I've always liked their music, but then more recently, uh, I've interviewed a few people from Degrassi on this show. <laughs> okay, uh, one of which was Stacy Mystician, and oh, she yeah. was just. Uh, she had been doing exercise stuff for a long time, but she was starting to put YouTube videos up with workout videos. Yeah. And there was one for World Fitness Day where I got in that video and so was Mike. So we're both oh. in that video showing how to do certain exercise moves. So that, <laughs> that was a weird small world kind of thing. Totally. You know? he, he told me about that. I remember. Um, yeah, Stacy did. He, he was doing like turn lunges or something like that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. I was doing butt kickers and something else. Yeah. Mike Park, he... Um, could work out as much as he wants to, but he eats like an idiot. He and, <laughs> Well, then and you got to work out. <laughs> but he like, he'll just like his favorite thing to do, no matter where you're at is like, go to like Costco or Safeway or whatever and buy like a bunch of snacks and just like watch TV and snack. Just gorge. Yeah. If I'm going to throw him under the bus at all, I'll just give you that. He just loves to snack. It's like, well, and thing. he uh, is a big Degrassi head too. Like he hosts. Huge. Well, he had a song, I'm in love with a girl named Spike, which mm -hmm. then became the name for the podcast where yeah. they watch all the episodes. And then I see, oh, Chris Candy's a guest. I, I get, you know, maybe Chris Candy's really into Degrassi too. <laughs> I then I listened to that and I was like, okay, he does, he couldn't even name three characters. So you he, still made it enjoyable nonetheless. Well, the funny thing with that was, yeah, he kept on 
And <laughs> you kept alluding to your notes, <laughs> which I think were non-existent. Uh, they were non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember watching the episode, but that was like peak. I remember that was peak pandemic. And um, I remember I didn't watch so it. You had no excuse. I, I had no excuse. <laughs> you had the time to rewatch it. <laughs> Even funnier. Um, no. Yeah. I, I've watched very few um, episodes of Degrassi. Is it, it's Degrassi or Degrassi? No, it's Degrassi. Degrassi, yeah, yeah that's And there was a bunch of series. I mean, I think the l most recent one ended a couple of years ago and I wasn't even watching at that point anymore, but they, it was perfect for me because I started watching the reruns of Next Generation, or not, uh, sorry, um, Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. Uh -huh. They came out like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then in the late 90s, CBC started airing them when I was in middle school. Right, right. And the topics and subject matter although a little dated were very much topics I wanted to know about at, at 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. And then a few years after that, they launched like the next generation. So right. it was kind of the perfect storm for me to get into Degrassi. I remember the one episode I watched, I was like, damn, these episodes get heavy. Yeah. And they, they kept true to that. Even with the next generation, they would update their content to be whatever's affecting teens now. You right. Know? That's yeah. yeah the, they're cool. And, um, they're, it's like a perfect Mike Park TV show because they're like a little corny. Yeah. They're funny. They're oddly very serious really quickly. And like, well, it's unintentionally corny, I think, just because yeah. of the budget they had and, yeah, and totally. certain things like that. Um, and then, of course, there was the School's Out movie, which came out okay. to end the series, uh -huh. uh, the original series. Yeah. I think it was 93 or something like that. And uh, that was the first time that the word fuck was ever on CBC. Oh and it was God. like 9 p.m. or something, too. It was kind of a big deal at the time. <laughs> so that's a little bit, a little fun fact. Well, yeah, but, but you know, Mike loves that stuff. He loves like '70s stuff. Um, uh, what is that show? Brady Bunch and, oh, okay. and Love Boat. All that stuff. He's a Gilligan's sucker, Island. Yeah, sucker for all that stuff. Mm. Well, and he helped put out some of your albums, right? So I, I did want to mention that you yeah. have a band, which you've recently informed me is sort of. Well, I had a band forever called Chodo Ghetto, and we're all still friends. Um, formed in 2005. Uh, yeah, yeah, we were in college when we started that, and. Um, it's 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 still a band for sure. It's just not as active. Everyone's kind of doing other stuff right now, and um, it's it's when you there's a phrase. This band could be your life. Um, Mike Watt, this musician, said it from the Minutemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This band could be your life, and um, and he actually played on two Chodo Yeah, albums. I noticed yeah. that. I had that in my notes <laughs> here. Yeah, and um, it just can be. You know, it can. And and uh, we were Chodo Ghetto was started as like a. Um, pretty hardcore progressive punk rock band. Um, and uh, we started with uh, t two friends from college, my friend Fletcher and my friend Chris Shalakis. And we went to Loyola Marymount and started the band. And um, and then it just kind of kept growing. We got this really amazing drummer, uh, a guy from Long Beach. You're telling me all about Long Beach. Fletcher's from Long Beach. Uh, this guy, Jody Giacello. And um, for uh, and then we would add a second guitar player in every once in a while. But we were very much like um, Bad Brains, Deftones. It was very experimental sounding from what I heard. Yeah. Um, glass Jaw. Like we were really into Glass Jaw. Um, and, uh, and that was a band I, I remember listening to on... Um, the Warp Tour. I met those guys on the Warp Tour, and 
And the music is really aggressive. I think it like was kind of unnerving or venting a lot of uh, anger I probably had. And, and I just, and, and, and I loved being a really aggressive front man with it. You know, I just loved the energy of, of, of performing and, and getting into it. And that's like the, the beauty of punk rock music. And yeah, you've got a solid scream on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's something really therapeutic about that. And, um, and, we did it for a really, really long time. We put out a lot of records and Mike uh, was like nice enough. And he really did it because we're friends. You know, Choto Ghetto was never a big band. Like we could play LA and like a handful of people would go to shows and um, um, we would play this thing called The Fest down in Florida. And I was always just so happy because people would come and see us from all over the country or the world. And that meant a lot, but we were never a big active touring band. We maybe did three or four tours that were like us tours and that were all self-funded and, um, cool. and, uh, we would just kind of pay along our way. And then, um, when all of us were getting into our careers, we just, um, kind of paused it and, uh, we put a, a record out called wildfire towards the very end. And that's where it's at now. And well, that was 2019 too. And that would have yeah. been right before the pandemic, which exactly. doesn't help anything. Exactly. There's another follow-up uh, version to that record that when the time is right, we'll be able to finish. But um, it's just been, when you do a band like Choto Ghetto, it's a really technical band and a lot of time and thought goes into um, making that stuff. And so. Well, the tracks on Wildfire had all this cool sort of like dramatizations of yeah. military <laughs> stuff going on in the background yeah. on a lot of tracks, which I thought was interesting. That That's uh, this, uh, the bass player Fletcher really like his he has a big comic book mind to loves comic books and his influence really got into the band um where it was like telling stories and yeah. storytelling and he he loves that stuff and so um and we even have a record called monstrosity and um there may or may not be a long song on monstrosity that may or may not sync up perfectly to Walt Disney's Pinocchio. <laughs> oh, okay. A little secret <laughs> there's revealed. An, just say there's like an 89 minute long song that we wrote that syncs up perfectly. 89 there. minutes. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all like original music and, and, um, and it's basically a rescore to Pinocchio we did. Very cool. Yeah. Um, but I loved the track, uh, Nightingale. Oh yeah, that yeah, song's great. It had like kind of a reggae vibe, yeah. which sucked me in for sure. Yeah, that song's really fun. Uh, that was on, yeah, that that's a good one. Um, Can I ask what the band name, where that came from? Yeah, that, uh, Choto Ghetto is uh, Japanese for, well, Choto's Japanese for a little bit. And oh. that photographer friend of mine, Hiro Tanaka, we would go on tour with Mike Park and it was kind of code if you were going to like, we would stay at people's houses. And so it was kind of like a joking code. Like if the place we were about to sleep at, it was really dirty. And so uh, we would go like, Oh, Choto ghetto. Uh, and they'd be little like, bit oh, ghetto, yeah, yeah. A little ghetto. Huh? You know, <laughs> okay. it, it's always, yeah, just kind of and that. That's really what it was. And, and I was like, Choto ghetto would be a sick name for a hardcore band. <laughs> that's where it was. The rest is history. Yeah, exactly. Well, you were telling me you have a new project in the works or a new band that you're a part of. Yeah. I just, I, I started, um, I started a group with my friend Bob and my friend Neil. Neil plays in um, this band, the Lawrence Arms, and Bob plays uh, in this band, Shinobu. And and um, we just wanted to start like a, a musically easier, uh, just kind of band that we could play whenever anyone's schedules permitted. So it's called Bull Shannon. And Bull Shannon um, was, uh, we have an EP out called Chill Power. I sing and play bass in that. It's a two bass 
band uh, and drums. Two bass. Yeah, oh. two bass. Interesting. So uh, the one Bob plays like maybe more of like a leadier type bass line and I'll play more a traditional kind of guitar bass part um, and or guitar part on bass. And it's it's cool. I've never played bass and sang at the same time. It's really tough. That always and, seemed hard. Yeah. I was yeah. Just gonna say. It, but I'm figuring it Kudos out. Kudos to Paul McCartney. And I know, greats. dude. Fuck. Um, and, and, um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a band that's like whole thing is like three people. Can we do it? Can we not do it? All good. If we can't, it's like no stress express in regards to being a band. So we have a show in LA in San Pedro on, on Monday of next week, I think the third. Um, and, um, and yeah, that, that band is just for fun. And, and really, I guess that that kind of also is to say like music in general for me is just for fun. Like I love doing it. That's why Therapeutic. it's like, yeah, like when there's time to do like the, a, a Choto Goto thing that can happen, but it's just not right now. Mm. There's just too much other stuff going on. And Bull Shannon is just easy to fly and fly out. Another interesting name. Oh, thanks. Bull Shannon, where's well, that one? Bull Shannon is the, uh, the bald headed man from night court. Um, oh. and, uh, uh, Richard mole. I think that actor's name is. Oh, so that was the character's name. Yeah. The oh. character. And, uh, they just and rebooted a new version of night did. court as well. Bull Shannon is not in it. Oh uh, no. We went to a bar after practice one night and uh, we didn't have a band name and we'd been jamming for like a year. And I was like, okay, we have like as long, we, we cannot leave this bar until we come up with a band name <laughs> and we have two hours. <laughs> and so somehow bullshit came up and, and that's what it became. So, yeah. Well, it kind of sounds like you're about to say bullshit too, which is a little yeah. bit <laughs> suggestive. Yeah. 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 Um, but that band's super fun. And, um, but yeah, Mike put out uh, a record called sparkles for Chodo ghetto and a record called monstrosity. And, I'm not asking him to put out any of the bullshit and stuff because it's just my friend Bob has a label called Fat and Funky and we just distribute it through that and we did a tape. <laughs> we made a cassette tape. Old school. Yeah, super cool. Maybe an 8-track next time. I know. We're just going to go farther <laughs> down the road. <laughs> well, on the drive over here, we were, you brought up uh, Bumper to Bumper, which is something I definitely wanted to talk to you about. It's yeah. a podcast that you've done for quite some time now. Yeah. Uh, but it's not really in the car anymore, is it, from what I've been seeing? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. kind of ditched that no. premise. Yeah, seriously. Because it used to be you guys would record this in traffic. Yeah. So the initial <laughs> podcast idea was like... Um, um, my friend Rick, who used to do actually early Choto Ghetto music videos, uh, we started doing improv together and a TED of comedy together. And he's this really talented director. And I, we Rick were just last name, just a uh, Rick Darge. I figure if we're saying how talented he is, we should get his. Yeah. Rick Darge, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love you, Rick. Um, Rick and I are naturally combative and it's just, it's funny. Like he's, we just know how to like. <laughs> like just push each other around and in a loving way. Yeah. But we noticed it when, so I'll back it up. We started an improv team called the beach bunnies and uh, we did improv at the, like in the, the indie DIY uh, LA improv scene. And there was this club called the clubhouse. And then there was this show called, um, Oh God, what was, this is crazy. I can't remember. It was the clubhouse. And there was this guy, Bart, who did this show there every Saturday night. And I'm blanking on the name right now. It'll come to me. But he would give you every the Saturday night, the amount of people on your improv team and the amount of people you brought would get you a minute of stage time. So uh, the local, that was the name of the show, the local. Price. So, but it didn't matter because he would just invite everybody to perform. And there would be like, 
uh, you know, I think it was a two hour show and start at 10, end at midnight. And there would be like 30 teams. It was like a lot. And you would get on stage and there was no time to do improv. There was just zero time to do it. And so it would always turn into like this speed improv fest. Like you'd go up there and like, just try to make people laugh as fast as possible. And everyone's a little drunk. It's late at night. And it would turn into like our team, just like basically like verbally fighting each other, like doing all the things you're not supposed to do in improv. We would do it in those moments and it would make people laugh. And that was being like kind of fighty with each other, you know, like, uh, you know, I would be like a sandwich shop owner, eh, beautiful day for making sandwiches. And then Rick would like, look at me, he goes, you know, you talk too fucking much, you know, <laughs> and then it would, and, but we knew like in traditional improv, you can't go far on that kind of, you're supposed to yes. And everything. yeah, you can't be that negative in a, in a scene. And, uh, and, and at, at the local, we were able to get people laughing because it was just so quick. And, um, and then that turned into more of our sense of humor as we, we kept on making stuff. And then it, it oozed into the podcast because bumper to bumper was usually traditionally, I would call Rick on these long, like just mind numbing psychedelic traffic drives in LA and we talk on the phone and I'm like, this should be the podcast. This should be a fucking podcast. And it literally turned into that. We did, he would drive one place. I would drive another place. Then the logistics and the pandemic happened. And then we didn't want to be spending gas and all these things. And so it just turned into a regular podcast, but it's, it's, it's kind of like goofy. It, it leans into like Howard Stern territory. Sometimes we do prank calls or we do like, you know, he uses the soundboard for things. He's always trying to get under my skin. I'm always, you know, it's just a funny thing. And we, our friend Aldous now is um, on the show and he's a stand up from Los Angeles. And so, yeah, it's what it's turned into. And, and I like love doing it. I sometimes hate doing it. <laughs> well, I feel like the name still works too, even yeah. if you're not in a car bumper to bumper, if you're being sort of bumpy with each other. Yeah. yeah. Antagonistic towards he, each other a little bit. I'll put it this way. He's always antagonistic to me. <laughs> <laughs> you just tolerate it. Yeah, I tolerate it. Okay. Well, people should go check that out. There's tons of them on YouTube. What yeah. Episodes, you were in the seventies or something. I think I saw. God, I think, well, uh, I have no idea. It's been a while since you guys put up a new one though, right? We just put one up on Tuesday. Well, I'm um, completely wrong there. And that one, we did a walk and talk. It was on, we walked around uh, the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. And it's funny because everyone was like taking photos of us because we look like the most like LA guys ever walking around <laughs> with a podcast, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll draw some attention. Yeah, it did. <laughs> cool. Uh, I did not want to forget to bring up, and I know my dad had a question about this too, uh, the short film you did called Love Language. Oh. I don't know if you ended up watching it, but uh, I thought it was hilarious. I first saw it when I was researching your sister. Yeah. And I saw it again. I just thought it was so funny, and I really hope people will go check it out. Thank you. I don't want to spoil it, or should I spoil it? I guess it's very short, but it's basically you hiding your farts from your yeah. beloved, uh, this woman that you're dating in the yeah. most creative ways possible. Did you check it out? Yeah, I watched it and I thought it was quite, uh, quite humorous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, especially when you're like, Oh, are you done with that? You take her cup. And that's, that's funny enough that you're going to leave the car. But the fact that when you get to the curb, you just chuck them on the ground. Yeah. We did a tisk tisk at that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pollution. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, that again, that like goes back into the Rick Darge world. He's a really good filmmaker. He's got a great camera. Um, and, um, we yeah, it made, was shot beautifully. Yeah. We, we've made several short films together and, uh, it's cool. Like, you know, write a good idea, make it, 
we know how to make it kind of quickly. Um, and it's just all got to be on the page uh, for an idea. And yeah, that was just like an idea. I remember my girlfriend and I started, who I'm still with now, we were starting to date and I was who like, does not like the Canadian weather. I've been told uh, she, she loves Canada. <laughs> Side note. Oh, the, the cold is. Yeah. Well, she's, yeah. She's, I don't want to derail your thoughts. Sorry. I just threw that she in. Is, no, 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 no. She, um, yeah, she's feeling it. I'll put it that way. Um, and, but I remember like, I hadn't had like a serious girlfriend for some time and I'm like, what is it like about the, the whole dating thing is kind of crazy because like you take someone out, you normally go get food, maybe food you don't normally eat, maybe a couple drinks, your stomach, your gut is just like a time bomb. Oh, and the then, nerves too. And then, yeah, and you're, and you're supposed to be kind of like f intimate or flexing around this person or, and it's just like, this is the worst time for all of this intestinal <laughs> issues you're going to have. <laughs> so I would in real life find ways to like, you know, <laughs> Hey, go, go, vent. go take a fart, you know, yeah. Hey, go take a fart. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, when she couldn't hear it and uh, I did a hundred percent do the coffee uh, thing. And where, coming back from the tree, you do like the little wave. Yeah, that's all Rick. <laughs> I mean, that that's just like to verbalize it. And then, yeah, he, I wrote it one way and then you guys can watch it. And, and The only thing I would have changed is please. at the very end or added rather, um, is when she, you come out and notice her farting in the hallway, yeah. right? When you sort of turn back to go and tell right. her that you love her or whatever. And she gives you this really heartfelt look. If she would have kept that same look, but then had a moment of like smelling oh, her own right. fart yeah, yeah, and then yeah, just yeah, gone yeah. back to lovey eyes, that would have killed me. It, it, um, it, yeah, that would have like brought it into the reality of what the hell is actually going on. Just like on. a two second look of like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. And, and, you know, I will put it this way too. I hate uh, toilet humor and fart jokes. Like I hate them. And that was the intention of doing that sketch back to Goggins. Even when we're talking about doing things you don't want to do, like figuring out a thing that I don't like to do and figuring out a way to do it, make it work. And, and, um, and the amount of time that Rick and I spent listening to farts going, this is a good one to this get the sound bites. From, yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, it was like, it, we, it was like, I had so many opinions about it. I'll put it that way. Well, they can't be too sloppy because that would imply that you wouldn't be able to go back to the date. Exactly. They, they, they had to be a very specific kind of like thing. And so dry and squeaky. Yeah. And <laughs> it was the most like, uh, uh, dialed in I've been, uh, on a sketch for comedy. <laughs> yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And I love that you guys I saw some sort of promotional thing where the quote right. was like you guys getting rejected from some film. Well, that festival. was the thing. Like we, we were getting like, uh, I can't remember how that worked. We submitted it. There's a couple of local film festivals in LA online. Short of the week is one of them. And, um, and they, we were just getting like n no love. And then we had a lead over at Vimeo and Vimeo made it a staff pick. And um, that was helpful. But, and, and, and so then we were just like laughing, like this is, no one likes that. I just like that you embrace that yeah. sort of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that kind of, I, that kind of humor. I love like the self-deprecating humor yeah. where you're making fun of yourself. That stuff's like hysterical. To Kicking me. yourself yeah. while you're down. Yeah. My dad, I know you said something to me on the phone about short films and you had a yeah, it was a little, for me, it was just a little broader question. Sure. You know, when you watch the Oscars and stuff, you see short film categories right. and all this kind of stuff. And whenever you get to see one of these things, a repertory cinema or wherever it might be now online, but in the old days, 
there was online wasn't so easy. They were still making short films. And I, my question was, when people make short films, um, how do how do they get their money? Because they obviously takes money. There's still cast, crew, cameras. There might be location shots, all this kind of stuff that burns the cash. But there's no place for people to go see these things and pay money to see them. Yeah. There, well, there isn't. That's the answer to the question. It it, it, it there is. They cost money, but you, there's kind of a bunch of approaches. And if you're going at it from a, like love language was made on the cheap because Rick was, Rick had a camera. We had a friend who wanted to do sound. You know, there's a ton of people in, in, in LA or Toronto or major cities where there's a film industry of, of people who have skill that want to keep sharpening their, their kind of their talent. And, um, it was a based off favors. You know, we bought people lunch and carted them around, but love language was made with myself, Garen, the actress, Rick directing and shooting, and then a sound guy. And then we hired someone to do a score. Um, but they make zero money. You know, you get all of, you know, and, and that, and you have to look at it as um, a business card or like an investment in your career. If it really. goes well, it's exposure. A hundred percent. You know, but, but what about one like Chowzilla, which was, you know, now Chowchilla. Yeah. Oh, Chowchilla. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It, it was uh, very meaty. Like it had a lot of roles sure. and it had a lot of stuff going on and that's got a cost. Labor of love. No, Chowchilla was more, um, that there was more of an intention, like love language had the biggest splash and that was, but we filmed it in a day. Mm. Um, Chowchilla was, uh, to those who are listening, like a, a short film I made, same actress, Garen, um, Rick was directing it. Um, but no, we, we, uh, we, we pulled money together for that. And, um, and yes, it made no money back. Um, and, Again, the point to it is, is it gets you out there yeah, and, and it gets you into festivals. It is something in a town where you, especially in an industry like Hollywood, where you need to like kind of show people what you can do. It was able to do that. Um, and so it garnered attention for us. It, it, you know, does, does it lead, exactly. Does it lead to anything? I can't say, but well, even the experience of making it is worth something, but right? you have to learn somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, I know I invested money in that. Um, Garen did, uh, my mom invested a little bit of money in that. Um, but we still made it on a shoestring budget. I think it was, um, I think that one was like $12,000, which is a lot of money. But that is a movie where we put the crew up in a hotel room. We paid, we did the union route on that and we do the union route on everything. But, but you know, we, we um, paid people. There's a way you can, what I mean by that, you can defer payment. And uh, we, you know, we didn't do that on this. We paid the actors um, and uh, we, we had a budget for it, but we, we made it look like it, you, we, it looks to me like it's a, you know, a $60,000 movie or something. And, um, but it's all just, again, skill cinematographer who needed to get some, some credit. Um, you know, we had a colorist who colored it for free. You can put it on your demo reel and stuff like that for sure. And it, that for us just started this process of like, 
you know, like, oh, this is what we're capable of doing. And, and so out of that, we got to go to a bunch of film festivals. We did rain dance in London. It played Calgary international film festival. It played uh, a slew of festivals in Los Angeles. Um, but when we went to rain dance, we ended up, you know, we paid for ourselves to go over there, but we um, made another short film while we were over there. And that one's called To the Stones. And so that was another really fun one that I love to do. But we made that, we just stole shots. Like we just rolled around and, and, and made it. And so, um, yeah, it, 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 I always say for anything, like you don't need to spend $12,000 on a short film, you, you, but you can um, make something for the cheap and get it out there in the world. And I think it, it, it is such an important thing as a creative to do stuff like that be it a podcast or be, I, I mean, I'm a big advocate for creativity. So, um, it's, it, well, and it shows, I mean, look at all the different things we've <laughs> talked about already. It's all over the place. You know, yeah, I well, love those types of people though, that you're not strictly in one lane. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and that also speaks to like, I always thought when I was, you know, going to be in, um, in, in, I didn't want to be an actor. I, 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 I wanted to really be my own person. And since my father was such a big actor and, and his, his, his star and his, his, his fame is still around, mm-hmm. um, even though he's been, uh, you know, not with us for over what 29 years now. Yeah. Um, I, re- when I was younger, I was really like, oh, well, I'm going to just, you know, not do any, um, acting stuff, but I'm going to be a musician. That's me. Path. I'm a musician. And even though I was doing like a play every year, you know? I couldn't see it. I couldn't see how it's, you know, all collective mm. and you can do all these things collectively. And so anyways, yeah, I, I, um, I've I, thought about that with, with you and your sister, that that must've been an interesting dynamic, that sort of quote unquote pressure to follow in your father's footsteps, you know, sure. whether it be from an internal thing that you're feeling or externally from other people in your life. Yeah, it, it, it's real. Um, and it's, it comes from yourself and it comes from external factors. You know, there, it, you, there's a part of you want that wants to keep them alive. And so you think you're doing, but the, the real reason you have to get to for any of it is your own path. You just, you have to do your own thing. Yep. Um, people will see through it if it's another way. Yeah. And, um, and, and it makes me appreciate and love my father even more because he, what he did was beautiful. It was like so good. Um, but if I were like shadowing that, then that wouldn't make sense. But, um, he, um, it, it, it is for sure, but you just have to, um, you have to kind of stick to what you like. And that's when I realized with acting, like I, I, I caught back from a Chodo Ghetto tour and I realized like, well, we're not probably going to be touring much more. Like, and it wasn't cause we were ending. This was, this was when I was like 27. And, um, I said, I had a friend who said that his management company would want to work with me. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot, you know? And then when I got into that scene, I took an acting class and I realized how much I had to learn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you can't take this thing lightly. You know, I had this like uh, naivete, like it was going to be easy or something. Like I was like, it would just come naturally. I, I, and I'd heard from people like, oh yeah, people are, you know, would love it if you got into acting and you know, this person said this and, and well, it's it, happened in Hollywood before where someone follows in the footsteps of one of their parents and yeah, but there's this, there was this like fog of naiveness. that was like, oh, it's going to just, yeah, okay. I'll start booking commercials, you know, cause, yeah. cause I was in, uh, <laughs> I was in, you know, bye bye birdie, you know, and I made everybody <laughs> laugh in eighth grade. I fell victim to everything that you do when you're, you're, green and don't know anything. And so 
then then when I realized how much I had to work, it, then that even goes back to challenges, what we were talking about in the beginning. I'm like, this is a huge fucking challenge. And I got to figure this one out. And I'm still figuring it out. But it, um, I think, you know, it, with my father's world always being there, it was like, you're never going to escape it. You have to embrace it. Yeah. And it's not going to go anywhere. So yeah, um, it's always going to be looming for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. But it can be a positive thing depending on you how have you... to turn it into a positive. Yeah. Then it's, it, it's not negative at all, but it's, it's its own thing. And, uh, you know, the more you carve out your own kind of thing and learn and, and, and educate yourself and, and grow and be curious about newness, then, then the better you're off. Well, I, I mean, of course I do want to ask you some questions about your father. Sure. Um, that's the whole second side of my notes. Uh, but before we move on to that, I did want to bring up uh, the fact that you host a show called news pollution. Is that still ongoing or is this something? Yeah, past? It, it's called, uh, it's, it's uh, pronounced noise pollution, but, um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it's the umblots that, uh, okay, my Stussy bad. noise yeah. on KXLU yeah. 88.9 FM Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, that's, it, uh, was, uh, KXLU is like a very, uh, old school college radio station. I went to Loyola Marymount. I it's, grew up on Loyola Avenue. Weird. That's funny. See, yeah. There it is. Well, we were talking before the podcast about how. Yeah, of course. This yeah, ninety fourth episode. My we're father passed in away in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, weird. Yeah, Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Loyola um, was where I went to school, and then KXLU was the radio station, and just a, I, I, I got to be a DJ up there, and um, I, I kept doing it because I was just like, and I still do it to this day because I love radio, and um, I. I, I, I can't believe I have an hour of LA radio time once a week and I can't, I can't give that up yet. I've, 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 I've maybe shown like I, I want to sometimes, but I, I just think it's such a cool thing. And, and I just started going back into the station back in LA. Um, and I'm sure you put on a good show cause you've got diverse musical interests. Yeah. Well it, it again, and, and it's, it, that shows changed a bunch too. I used to do it with my old friend uh, from high school and we would do kind of like an improv kind of talk radio kind of show thing. And that get, garnered us a lot of attention in, in the art community and, and, and the local LA scene um, because it was just so bonkers it was such a wild show and that that was and my friend carlos is one of my favorite people to improv with um and but we would create like characters before each show and and so it would be like noise pollution radio but this week's show is going to be called um you know the malibu juice shack boys and you know we'd kind of be like talking like this and hey everybody how's it going uh, my name's uh tardino and we're here broadcasting live from malibu juices yeah it's uh, really good and, and we would just like rip for a whole hour it was insane and then we'd play some punk or some garage rock or whatever and then yeah that was the show now i've kind of just dj and and during the pandemic i would do these things called like cantina sessions where it was in my old studio apartment before i moved in with my girlfriend and on wednesday night i would just um like set up like a live stream and i would like dj for like an hour and it would go up on the fm station and and people would tune in on the live stream it was super fun that's rad yeah speaking of radio actually i had a, a thing happen to me i was at walmart the other day and this has happened to me many times in my life this guy i do not remember his last name his name is bob i've learned since he comes up to me out of nowhere and he says hey 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 and i was First, you know, it's Walmart, so I'm wondering what this guy's about to right. do. And then he goes, he had heard me speaking to Kelly, and he said, I, I just got to say, you have a, a great voice for radio and broadcasting, and I get that a lot, actually. And then he proceeds to tell me that he he said, oh, did you ever watch Showcase? Or I can't remember what the other network was. I'm the guy that 
says and then he immediately switched into the following program and it, it was so <laughs> uncanny he yeah. messaged me later really nice guy but yeah i've never actually done radio i guess this is sort of like radio it's though. exactly it it's this exactly new it. age radio except it wouldn't be popped into a computer over podcast channels it's going on fm or am yeah i mean and we don't do a lot of editing but i, I think the live angle would kind of intimidate me at least at first but. well it's interesting too because like i remember actually back with mike park i went into dickie barrett's morning radio show when i was like and dickie was the singer of the mighty mighty Bostones. oh very cool and i remember they don't it's not really live for a lot of big radio stations they kind of pre-record things and then they send it out live Oh. It's very rare that it's like this exact thing. Like it's kind of, there's a delay or a tape delay or that it's like very built and then sent out. It's interesting. I did not know that. I didn't either until I went to Especially that. when they say we're live from yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like maybe a convo or something. Anyways, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Cause I've thought about, oh, what if I did a live episode on YouTube? You should. I, I probably will eventually. Yeah. I like to ultimately have that ability to sort of assess the footage sure. after. And, and like I said, I rarely cut anything out. Usually if I do, it's something where I'm self-conscious about sure. saying something stupid or, right. you know, getting a fact wrong or whatever. Yeah. Well, let's flip the page. Yeah, please. Because, I mean, your dad is such an influential, influential and amazing uh, performer for the ages. And there's definitely stuff I wanted to talk to you about. But first, I have a gift for you. Oh, great. And I don't know if this is something you're aware of or you may already have. But as you can see, I'm a big board gamer. Oh my God. Okay. And they have a planes, trains, and automobiles, the game. What? Yeah. So <laughs> there's yours. And I got one for me. I'm hoping you'll sign oh for me. Oh my God. <laughs> so go out and get it. I think it's a co-op game and it comes with a, a shower curtain ring. So if you don't <laughs> it's have a it, journey of high, oh, which you want it in the middle camera or? It's a journey of hijinks and oh. hilarity in this two-player cooperative <laughs> I'm game up based the on <laughs> I'll just classic go like this. holiday film. Overcome grounded planes, icy roads, and burning cars to reach. This is going to be the new Thanksgiving game to play. Funko makes this. Oh. Yeah, pretty cool, right? That's well, so I'm glad you've never heard of it and that you no, don't already I've never have heard it. of that it. That makes me very happy. That's so cool. Thank you. This is so awesome. yeah, if you'll autograph mine after the pod, that would be super cool. I would be happy to. Um, so I already asked you, did you know about this? No. Okay. My next thing I have to bring up is Ryan Reynolds because oh, yeah. him and Colin Hanks have mm -hmm. announced that they are working on a documentary about your father. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to know, uh, are you involved in this? If there's any details you could share and if you know of a tentative release date, I was thinking maybe they were timing this with the 30th anniversary of your father's passing next, next March or, you know, I can't speak too much on the project now, but I can speak on how lovely, uh, Ryan is and, and I can definitely, say that his appreciation for my father is just is, is, is beautiful like he he in deadpool i think he always has he has the canadian the mountain canadian book. mountain yeah, book yeah. yeah he's just such a he's such a, a nice guy and i know that he's a big fan and um yeah he's just been lovely and, and the people we've worked with over at maximum effort are really sweet and yeah colin's a great guy really excited. Well, ryan really does seem to exude the same kind of Canadian warmth that your father is known for, you know, really kind spirit. And yeah, he, um, some, some, hum, uh, an essence of humanity that you don't see in a lot of Hollywood is the way I would put it, I guess. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, and I learned that through him, you know, I, 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 I'd seen his work and, and I, I, I remembered him from all of his films, like the Van Wilder movies, yeah. and, you know, I always kind of saw him around growing up and seeing movies and he was always very funny. And then, when, you know, it's interesting, actually, the bass player of Choto Ghetto was really excited about Deadpool and he was talking about how they released Deadpool. And that was my first kind of uh, experience of getting to know Ryan Reynolds nowadays. And um, when 
I started to learn how much of a fan he was of my father's. I was just like, oh, that that's beautiful. And then it's been within the last five years that he loves Canada. I, I can tell, you know, and you know, it's interesting. I've only met Ryan on Zoom. You know, we've never met in person, um, but uh, I've met um, people from his company in person and um, he's a very busy guy. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> but um, he just does have that warmth for sure. I can tell, um, and he does love Canada and, and even the stuff he did with like the Terry Fox shirt he just put out recently or he was promoting. He, and even, you know, what it is is this. His, I can tell that he and his company and the work that they put out um, there is a lot of um, really genuine characteristics behind all of them. There's warmth, heart, there's a point of view. Um, and yeah, I just, he's, he's definitely very much has that. So yeah. He's well, he has a lot of people in Ottawa excited right now because, uh, oh, yeah, I know talk that he made by the Sens, which is again, something that makes me think of your father with uh, co-owning the Argonauts. Sure. And I wonder if that's maybe some of the motivation that led Ryan to want to own sports teams. Of course, he's got Wrexham with, uh, Rob, I cannot ever say his last name, right? Mikkel, Mikkel Henny, Mackel, Henny. I think Mackle-Henny, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I, I do think of that too. I think that there is some connection. Um, Cause it's a Canadian team this time around. It seems even more on point. With yeah, exactly. He, he, um, yeah, it's, it's, He's got that mint mobile money, the <laughs> 1.3 billion. He's you know, a guy, if he wants it, he'll get it. He's a guy who, who, who gets business. He, he's just, it seems like he's a person who's got like the, a good head on his shoulders. And um, yeah, even like with them announcing for Deadpool 3, um, I was just so impressed that they got, you know, everyone wanted to see. Hugh Jackman come back. Yeah. Come on. It's like, he, they kind of know what everybody wants. And that's so cool for creativity these days. Where I think it was a mixed bag, though, because a lot of people loved the way that Logan kind of ended his tenure as Wolverine. It was such a great film. But and he it was, even knew to point that out in like a video. He's like, we're not going to mess with Logan. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, going to be like, set before uh, that. Yeah, yeah, Continuity not, will be fine. Yeah, do not <laughs> like he, he, it, like I, I, he, they just as a company, understand i think the audience really well and I oh think yeah that's most really definitely cool. and colin colin went to loyola marymount um and colin um like i said he, he's a director of, of documentary with his company uh, company name but great actor too great actor life in pieces we binged that whole series yeah and he he does have a good heart and um he uh i, I remember reading a play with him years ago when, we, when i was in a play in in at loyola he wanted, I think, to produce it or, or move, work with the director on producing it. So, mm. and then Jen was in the same class as him at Loyola because Jen went to Loyola Marymount too. So there's always there's you know that project has got some really cool um, DNA to it. Yeah, real connections going on yeah. there. That's awesome. Well, give me a single for this one. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. We'd love to have you here in Ottawa. We'd also <laughs> love to have you here in this podcast studio, but that might be a bit of a long shot. You I never do, know. <laughs> I do have a Deadpool costume from a previous Halloween, so if he ever comes on this show, I will be wearing that bad boy. Um, <laughs> Anyways, no, uh, moving on though, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, actually, no, I'm going to go to a little bit more of a somber question first, um, which is that obviously your father passed away when you were about 10 years old, I believe somewhere. Um, I was uh, eight years old actually. Oh, okay. My bad. Uh, I'm still very young. And my daughter recently, she's 12 and she's had a couple friends in her classes who have lost their fathers. One, right. one I believe was to a drug overdose and the other was a oh, heart, heart attack or something like right. along those lines. So I want to know as someone that's been in that situation and has been faced with that 
tremendous, unimaginable loss. If there is any words of advice that you might give to someone who's of that young age that is also being faced with that horrible situation or similar one, and if there's any, any things that helped you weather that storm that you think might be translatable to somebody else. Sure. Um, I mean, of course, if you're comfortable no, of sharing course. that I, information. I think that the biggest thing that I, I'm older now and I, uh, a loss, I think, is a unifying thing. A lot of people go through it. It's not easy at any age for anybody. Um, I think it. there's a lot of, um, of unknown and a lot of anger and a lot of fear that comes out when you're that young and you, you lose someone uh, that close to you. Um, and in the public eye, nonetheless. Yeah, that's that that adds a different caveat to it. But that's like 20%. The rest of it is something that everyone has to go through yeah. um, and carry that with them. And I think um, what I would tell anybody who's that age or, or anyone going through any kind of loss is to never fight the emotions or feelings that come along with loss. Like they'll just body slam you if you try and have a stiff upper lip to it. Mm. I think that to feel your emotions, have your feelings about it, um, mourn properly, however you want to, is the best move for that. And people do things so differently and respect how people do things differently. You know, I didn't go to my father's grave for a long time after he passed away. I think I, I just, I started going maybe 10 years ago and I just couldn't, I couldn't go back to that place. And now I love going back, but that, then is to my overarching point is that time is such a healer. And if you're honest with yourself and if you can get through to your feelings on it, um, the time will, you'll look back on it and you'll go, this is amazing how I feel, I'm how I'm doing. You, a total you, shift in perspective. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I think that, um, you know, it's never easy and, and, and it's tough when you're that young because you go a whole lifetime without them and you'll, you'll, you'll have to deal with the fact that you'll never see them again. And that is the hardest part. Um, but when you're honest with yourself about that and those feelings and you, have, you are allowed to have that, those days where you're just so upset about that fact, but you don't let it you know, depress you, you just feel it you know, then you can get through it. And I, I think that that is always what I like to share in, in my journey with loss, because the times I've, I've had to, um, the times I've tried to like over, uh, overcome it, I always just get taken down by it. So it's always good to just feel those feelings, let them wash over you. For me, it's normally the day that he passed away that I'm like, this is just going to be a weird day yeah. and it's just going to be weird. And then, um, or, or it's kind of weird being back in Toronto. I wonder mm. what, what is that about, you know, and just feeling those feelings and, and being kind of open to that. And I think for anyone going through it at that age, that's what I, I like to share and that you're not alone. And a lot of people go through it and, um, it's always good to talk to people about it and be open and, uh, or if you want to just be by yourself, that's okay too. You know? Just embrace whatever you're feeling on a deep level. I think so. And, and, and to know that, um, you'll look back one day and you'll be like, holy shit, you know, it has been a lot of time. Yeah. I don't want to say it gets better, but I definitely know it is different. Yeah, that's beautiful stuff. I mean, I know what you mean with time. Of course, I haven't lost my father, but I have lost some people and it definitely does change things the longer that's gone on. And the older you get, I find, at least from my side of things, 
as I get older, I go, okay, well, this is going to happen to all of us. And there's some of that that kind of dawns on you in a way that maybe doesn't when you're younger, when you're younger, you feel kind of infinite, you know, like you're just going to be around forever. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and it is a, it's a very brutal awakening to realize that that's not the case. You just, I've even thought about my kids, the fact that like, even if they live to 95, they're still going to die one day and I won't even be there to yeah, be there for them. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's just a trip really. The design of it in life is that you get to an age where, you know, the person passes, uh, your, your family members or, you know, when you can kind of handle it a little bit more. Yeah. But when you're a kid, you're like, I'm not used to this at all. You shouldn't have to handle it. You, let's be honest. You shouldn't. You know, yeah. And that, that's what it just is. Just like a parent should never, never have to bury a child as well. Exactly. There's certain things that just feel wrong. The design of it isn't, the, the, that isn't the, the plan primarily yeah. most of the time, but there, that is life. Things happen. There's always something around the corner. And yeah. so you just, but I, I just, I, I have to say that, you know, honesty about it with yourself and, and, getting in touch with those feelings are more helpful than hurtful. And if you hide behind other things, it's like, eh, you're not going to, cause I did it all. I mean, for myself, yeah, you know, I tried through. to kind of get through things without, you know, oh, I'll be fine today. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, I hope it helps someone that might find themselves in that position, but I don't think we have too many young viewers <laughs> where we're saying fuck every, you know, a few words, but I know my dad had a question that sort of piggybacked on this one yeah. you had spoken to me about, which I found pretty interesting. Well, yeah, when I was doing the reading, I wasn't aware that your father had lost his father right. at such a young age. And I think he was five when his dad passed. Yeah. And <clears throat> what I just was curious about was if there was any point in your life where your father talked to you about what it was like for him growing up without a father and if how he coped. And, and then you were you didn't know it at the time, but later that might have helped you a little bit. But maybe that didn't happen. I, I was just curious. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. You know, um, he, he, I, um, found that all out later. And, and that's my journey with my father is like, I'm like a private detective learning about him as time goes on. Mm. Oh, this is a new story I never knew, or this is new or, oh, he lost his dad at, you know, and then you look at it and you go, we all have this thing in common. What's that about? Everyone's lost like a father really early. What's going on there? And, and, um, and so that information then led me to be like, how am I going to live my life differently? Or what is it? You know? And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm most bummed about for, you know, it was heart attack. Well, we don't know. That's the thing actually. Um, we, I, we, for my father, it was, it, was, it was definitely a heart attack, but we don't know with my grandfather what it was because it was so long ago. Um, they're not quite sure usually what it was at that time. Um, but you go, okay, I've got now this family history and um, how am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to stop this tradition? Um, and I, I genuinely, at the end of the day, think that... Um, it's, it's, uh, for him, it was cigarettes. I think for both of them, they were smokers. I think that that just leads to, um, so much 
it for the wrong for the right person it's the completely wrong thing to do oh, for yeah. cigarettes some people smoke till the day they die thank god they're not as popular as they used they, to be even when i was a teenager there was way more smokers exactly it's it's really kind of lost its its cred and um and so yeah but i never got that lesson um from him and 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 it was really more me kind of having to go Okay, what, what's what's up here? Well, in his defense, if if when he passed, you were only eight, it might have been kind of a heavy conversation to drop on a seven year old. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 that that's part of the that's part of it too. He yeah. So he never did, but I do know that that was um, that definitely weighed on him because he was um, he was a caretaker for everybody. You know, it was like he stepped up to be the kind of man in the family and all these things, and so that that was really. Um, did you have a lot of siblings? Or? He had a brother, my uncle Jim, who passed away. He passed away in his 60s. Um, and then my Aunt Fran, actually, who is my um, my grandmother's sister, she just recently passed away maybe six years ago, five years ago. But she was kind of the um, end of that immediate family. And then... Okay. Um, I yeah, was actually asking if your father had siblings. I should have specified that. Oh, no. Yeah, my father did. Uh, okay. uh, Jim. Yeah, Jim Candy. Jim. and uh, But he was... Um, in his sixties when he passed away, but, um, it was not of, of heart issues. Yeah. He had cancer, I believe, oh, Too bad. but yeah, but he was, um, intellectual, loved jazz, you know, very, um, kind of the, if my father was the extrovert, Jim was a bit more of an introvert. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry guys. I have to interject at this point and I really hate to do it, but our video feed has just stopped. Oh, okay. I think we have a memory issue. Hey, sorry about that. We might have lost a, a few seconds of the conversation we were just having. Not the greatest timing, but these technical things happen. We're back into it. Got too real. <laughs> Got too real. Exactly. Um, so I did want to shift to a little more of a positive note. I am part of a long live John Candy Facebook group. Oh, okay. It's got 171,000 fans on it. Oh my God. So I did a little shout out to them and I, I told them I was going to be doing this interview and I asked if anyone on there had any questions that they wanted me to ask you. So yeah. I've got a few of those, but first I wanted to start with a more of just a comment from a guy named Mike Newman, which I thought really summed up your dad's work. He said, how could you not be full of love and respect for John Candy? A caring and charismatic personality that oozed out on, into every movie character John ever played. A living and breathing teddy bear for so many youth back then, you'll never hear a negative story about him. Yeah. And uh, on that, I, I wanted to comment that I saw actually a Facebook post. Uh, it was like celebrity interactions that people had had and someone, they talked about going to the fair with their brother or something like that. And their dad they ran into John Candy of all people and their dad left his kids with John Candy so he could go to the bathroom. And apparently your dad bought them a corn dog and was nothing but a gentleman. So this is a funny story I found online. Um, but Sarah Novelli asks, um, there's a 50th anniversary for SCTV celebration that's already in the works. And she yeah. wanted to know if you were going to be involved in that in any way. Uh, yeah, they're doing uh, an event up in Toronto in the summer, I believe. And yeah, we've been invited to come up for that. So they just did a new Second City theater and um, they moved the... Uh, he, he has a theater there called the John Candy Box Theater, and it was in the second city in Toronto, across from the firehouse. Um, now they moved it to this new place down by the water, and yeah, there's a John Candy Box Theater. They, they've already started having shows and classes in there, and so we're going to go up for that. So yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's great. I remember the know. last time Second City did a, I think it was their, well, God, was it the... What one was it? It must have been the 40th or that, but it seems like it wasn't that, it seems like it was longer ago, maybe the, the 
35th. It's 50th anniversary of Second yeah. City. Yeah, I think 73 to 2023. That's amazing. God, I must have been the... That's what she said, at least. I yeah, I know it is. I'm just... Yeah. I, that, that It seems like... Um, I think it might've been the 30th. It must've been the 30th or the 40th. I can't remember, but we were in Chicago for it. And it was like mind blowing how many like amazing comedians were all there. And I, we, we just, we were there to kind of um, be there, but there it was like that, that institution has just pumped out so many funny people. It's amazing. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll be a good time up here in Canada for the 50th. I'm excited. Yeah. I, again, it's always nice coming up here again. So. I was here right before the pandemic working on a movie of the week. <laughs> and I remember like I was in the hotel and I just kept on seeing on the screen, like, you know, COVID here, COVID. There. And I was like, it's not going to come over. <laughs> and I got home and literally a week later, it was like. Rrr. Yeah. You couldn't get away from it. No. Like we were talking about earlier. Well, speaking of coming back to Canada, I just noticed when we took that uh, interrupted break there that uh, it's really coming down the snow outside. I, I've been looking out oh, the, been the yeah the uh, the window here and the porthole. Yeah, I'm the porthole, yes, into the reality <laughs> out of the comic book cave. Yeah, cool. Well, um, Adam Seuss asks if your dad ever acted like one of his characters uh, at home, whether if it was just to have fun or if he was rehearsing. If you ever caught any of that, yeah. People always want to know that it's, it's, it's true. He, um, he like wearing the, the space balls outfit at home. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, you know what it is when you get around someone who's that much of a pro at what they do, they know when to turn it on and turn it off, but they also, um, what, what was consistent in all of my dad's work was like his heart, I think. And like, in, in kind of what you're talking about, like, he didn't grow up in a big, rich family of actors. You know, he doesn't have this kind of Hollywood dynasty to his name. They were, you know, middle-class, blue-collar, uh, his dad was a car salesman, you know? And so he had the upbringings of kind of being genuine to people, and it just carried with him into Hollywood. So people see this big actor, and um, he was this very gregarious lovely person to be so relatable and yeah he wasn't uh i guess the word would be disingenuous i think he was a very honest person um and he just i i, I had a, I have a friend in los angeles who you know same kind of story like who i've known for years and he said he had no idea my dad was john candy and he said your dad's john candy kind of distant friend but he said, oh yeah my dad did voiceover work with your dad you know oh really he's like yeah i talked to your dad on the phone Oh, I was crazy. like, really? He's like, yeah, my dad put your dad on the phone and he just knew how to talk to me. He asked me what my favorite ice cream was. And I'm, <laughs> I was laughing because I'm like, yeah, he was, he, he was a big kid at heart. So, you know, he knew how to talk to kids. So. Well, and to pull a line from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, your dad seemed like the real article, you know? Yeah, definitely. I just think he was very much, um, yeah, I, I look at it in that capacity that like he just he was around regular people and honest people and, and, and uh, he treated people the way he would want to be treated for sure. Well, and speaking of voiceover work, you made me think of something because I, of course, in research for this, I was looking through his filmography and I've seen a lot of them growing up. Some I haven't seen, but one I totally forgot about was uh, heavy metal. I know. And I remember watching that at a sleepover when I was probably too young to be seeing animated breasts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he was like a barbarian character in that, if I remember correctly, <laughs> but 
Well, that, that was a pretty cool flick. Yeah, that that like speaks to that time of them make of of like being in in the entertainment business in like the seventies and the eighties, and like you just took whatever work you could get, you know. And then, yeah, and it just happened to be like a cult classic. Yeah, it's really cool. If no yeah. one's seen it, or if anyone hasn't seen it, I should say you should go check it out. Yeah, if you can find it anywhere, I couldn't find a place to stream it last night. But yeah, they 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 pop up everyone's. Amazon while. said currently unavailable. It was there, but really, I don't know why you would have it if it was unavailable, but. Um, and then I guess that's it for the fan questions. I only grabbed a few because I wasn't sure how long we would have uh, with sure. each other. But I did want to ask if you in particular had a film of your father's that really speaks to you the most or one that you hold closest to your heart. It, they pivot all the time. Um, I I think that I always kind of say, and it's true, like, because I had so much love and uh, uh, reverence for um, John Hughes. And I like, like and Planes, Trains is just like a, a great film. And like, I, uh, John was someone who really connected me back to my father after he passed away. I was talking about that kind of era of time where kind of are trying to figure out who you are. And John really helped ex tell stories and explain to me who my dad was in this mm -hmm. really great way. And so in knowing their friendship and his understanding of my father's gifts, when I watch movies like Planes, Trains or Uncle Buck, you can see that like dance of amazing storyteller and amazing actor really, really work well. And yeah. they just got comedy and like some of those planes, trains and automobile scenes with Steve Martin and my father are just like, they're like Laurel and Hardy. They're just so funny. The whole car sequence. Just iconic, yeah. Yeah, and the editor really just dialed in all the beats. And so it's just it's just such a good movie. Well, and apparently there's like a, an hour of extra footage that never made it into the film. Some of it's on the Blu-ray now recently yeah. released, but there's some that it's lost to the ages from what I've heard. I'd also argue i think there's like or not argue get an argument about this um i there i i know that there are different versions of planes trains and automobiles and uncle buck in circulation now oh really um where if you were maybe watching it on tv it might be a different edit than if you see okay yeah on. i did hear that yeah there there's just different ones that have different beats to it because i think there's so many different edits well, there's an, I know there was an edit for Steve Martin's rant when he starts yelling at the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what, I can't remember if she was a flight uh, person uh, yeah, at the well, airport no, or the, at the, the bus car, station. The car, car rental, yeah, that's what it is. Owner, yeah. And he, yeah, drops a couple F-bombs in that speech, or at least one. Edie McClurg, is that her name? I think she's, she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah, too, right? Amazing yeah. character actor. Yeah. yeah. Super great. Okay. Well, the last, I won't keep you too, uh, too much longer. The last question I have for you is the season four question we've been asking everyone, which is what's the shittiest job you've ever had? <laughs> Some people have many, but, you know, pick the one that really stings. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. This is a good one, actually. Um, I will... Um, okay, let's see here. This is a great question. Um, it, yeah, I will... Okay, I'm going to do this without giving names. <laughs> That's why I Probably thought for about the best. it. <laughs> I... Um, I, like I said, I worked at a lot of clothing stores and, um, I used to, one of my favorite jobs is I was a guitar tech for this guy, Donovan Frankenreiter, and I got to travel Europe and America and, and, uh, North America. And it was so much fun. He's this professional surfer and really great guy. I learned a lot from him. And, um, I lost my job at the skate shop in LA called Hot Rod. It was a, it's a very famous skate shop also in Los Angeles. And I worked there a little bit. And so I, I had this very like... Um, I need to get a job mentality because I did because I was no longer going to work for Donovan. So I didn't have that. And then I didn't have my job at Hot Rod anymore. And so I I, I was kind of bummed that I got fired from Hot Rod because I knew the owner. And I was like, ah, fucking this guy. So 
I had a buddy who worked for a um, grocery delivery service called Yummy. And I worked at Yummy for about a month. And um, the only reason I left was because I got offered a job at another clothing store in a part of Los Angeles. I'll just put it that way. Um, and now most would think a delivery job, that would be the worst. And it really wasn't. It was kind of fun. It was just really, it was, it was like mind numbing at times though, because it was like literally just like, you know, get groceries and deliver them. It's uh, not too bad. No, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, but I went to go work at this other place and it was in a part of uh, West Los Angeles that's like a very fancy part of LA called the Palisades. And um, I worked for someone who um, was insane to work for. <laughs> and I still know this person. And so, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll give a story. Okay. Um, the store was a mess. It was just like the back stock area was so messy. And this store was just so poorly run. You know, like if you have any OCD at all, like you kind of mentioned, like oh, yeah. your brain would just like ignite. And I remember I was there and I was just, I, they really depended on me because I was like, they took advantage of me being a nice guy and they would, I would do way more work than I needed to. And I ended up just kind of managing a bunch of people who worked there. But the worst thing I had to do there, I remember was like, um, the back bathroom was just always just disgusting. And I, one day I was like, fuck it. I am going to clean this thing just out of the kindness of my fucking heart. Top to heart. bottom. Yeah, and I did it. And I just cleaned the entire bathroom. And then I think I left like two weeks later. But it was like very like, but the, the store was just chaotic. It was just, you know, and, and um, yeah, it was a skate shop in the Palisades. I'll just put it that way. Okay. The owner, she will still probably figure it out and call me somehow, but. <laughs> she should have kept her bathroom clean. <laughs> yeah, I remember that was probably the worst, but. Um, I don't think anyone wants to, to clean th a bathroom. I mean, people do it, but they, and they're professionals at it. They're better than I could do it. Um, I think that that was easily my worst job. I was so stressed out working there. You know, police were called one time on employees and owners. And it was like hybrid. I was 25 at the time. It was like hybrid being a camp counselor and hybrid um, like managing like a, like a big retail store in Los Angeles where like the owner was just like in and out of working there. There was all kinds of drama. I remember like, you know, the owner would get like, an opinion on another employee. And I'd be like, don't you go down that road in your mind because you're going to fire this person in like a week. And then I'm going to be working like 12 days in a row <laughs> because you're not going to have anyone to work here. Yeah. And I remember this is a funny story. Actually, I had to train my replacement. What? And I was like, okay. And we were taking people off Craigslist and this woman came in to be my replacement who didn't get the job. But like you would put in your two weeks notice kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And, and she came in and I, it was just like, she was like Eastern European. And I think like her resume had said that she'd worked at like an adult gift bookstore before this. And like, <laughs> and she was, just, I was like having this conversation with this woman about like skateboards and she clearly had no idea what, what she was doing, but she just needed a job. And it was like the polite, like, listening to every beat of her career and then go like, you're in the completely wrong place this right now. This is not now. the field for you. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's it, man. Oh my God. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope we hit all the beats. Yeah. I mean, we did all the notes and... 
I love it. I enjoyed it. It sucks we had that little technical hiccup, but hopefully not much comes of that. Just chilling. Just chilling. Thank you so much again for coming. We always high five at the end. Thanks, Oliver. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know if you're saying that to my dad or the audience. I was saying it to your dad. <laughs> and the audience, if and you're the audience, watching. Thank you all so much. <laughs>